Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We may start a new campaign to increase our attendance. If you come, we'll give you a free roll of toilet paper. Maybe that will get people to church, you think? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, you care for us. Lord, speak to our hearts today through your word. And Lord, we are here receptive to your Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Over the years, many of our people and many others in our county has uh, reached out to people who are in jail and prison. And uh, Dow shared with me a few years ago an instance uh, that happened here in our Stevens County Jail, a conversation between two of the uh, people uh, that were uh, going through the jails. And one uh, went to a man and he was trying to share his faith. And this man was uh, uh, you know, convicted of some kind of crime. And the, the person trying to share the faith told them about Christ and how he loved them. And the man said, I'm, I'm too mean for the Lord to save me. I, I'm too bad for God to do anything in my life. He was all tatted up. And, and so the person who was sharing the faith of Christ with him, he said, come here, come up here to the bars. I want to talk to you a little bit uh, closer. And the man came up and grabbed the bars and across his uh, knuckles and his fingers, you know, tattooed love and hate. And this bad dude who was in prison, uh, the, the fellow said, come up here a little bit closer. He said, I, I want to just whisper something in your ear. So the man came up closer and closer to the, uh, the bars. And when he got right up to him, the man on the other side shouted and growled real loud. He went, Row! and the man backed up and fell in the floor. And when he got up, he, he heard this response. You're not quite as bad as you think you are, are you? I scared the living daylights out of you. Well, we're starting a new series called The Bad Boys of Easter. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23. And in two verses, Luke gives us some insight of what's happening at the cross and around the cross. So as we get closer to Easter, I want you to really have a sense of the price that was paid for you and I to be saved. And what happened there at the cross, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, and the him is Jesus. When they came to the place that was called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now there's several events that lead up to the crucifixion. Jesus is arrested about midnight at the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas betrays him. He is first taken to Annas, who is the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. So this mob, this group, these soldiers, the, the people who went out to arrest him, take him to the house of Annas, and then he is uh, whisked off to the courtyard in the palace of Caiaphas, who is the high priest. In Luke chapter 22, it said the men who arrested Jesus, who had him in custody, severely beat him. And as they were beating him, they were also mocking Jesus. They spit in his face. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy, tell, tell us which one of us is striking you. And early in the morning, somewhere around 6 a.m., the Jewish leaders take Jesus to Pilate, asking Pilate, 
for the death penalty because the Romans are in control and they cannot put anyone to death. It's interesting to me that the Jews who want Jesus dead, they want him dead because they want to celebrate the Passover. And they want to celebrate the Passover with the Passover lamb that can take away none of their sins. And unbeknownst to them, they're crucifying the lamb of God who can take away their sins. Pilate examines Jesus and then sends him to Herod. Luke 23 verse 11 says, And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then they arrayed him in splendid clothing, and then Herod sent him back to Pilate. Now, realize this, the Jews would not go into the place where Pilate was because if they went into that area, they felt like they were going to be defiled and they could not celebrate the Passover. So at the governor's court or palace called the Praetorium, all of the Roman guard is there, and they're stationed as a battalion or a cohort in, in Greek, and there's about 600 soldiers in that company, and the Bible says they began to mock Jesus. Pilate has Jesus scourged, beating him with a whip, and this whip is very well known to us. It is a whip that is embedded with glass and metal and bone, and as they whip Jesus, not only does it put whelps upon his back, it literally tells, tears the flesh and the skin away from him. And many have said, well, he was only beaten 39 times. Well, if he was beaten by the Jews, that would have been the case. But the problem is, he was not scourged by the Jews. He was scourged by the Romans. So we have no idea how long or how many stripes they laid upon his back. But we know that they literally lacerated the Savior. And uh, they put a purple robe on Jesus, plaited a crown made out of thorns, and then they shoved it down on his head. They also put a reed in his hand, representing his royal scepter. They mocked him as a king, bowing down, laughing. They take the reed out of his hand, and they beat him with the very reed that they put in his hand, and then they begin to spit on his face." Now, this is not one or two soldiers doing this. This is many, many soldiers. Now, because he's accused of being a king and being called the king of the Jews, this is the reason for the purple robe, for the crown of thorns, for the scepter, the reed they put in his hands, and the mocking and the bowing down. So about 9 a.m., Jesus takes up the cross and he begins his journey down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, to what we know as Calvary. Um, on the way, he falls under the weight of the cross. Simon the Cyrene takes the cross, and he finishes carrying the cross the rest of the way up to the hill. And it's at Calvary, and this word Calvary is the word cra uh, cranium uh, in our language, which means what? Skull. Golgotha is the place of the skull, and there Jesus is nailed to the cross. They take three spikes they put through his wrist or his hand and they cross his feet and they nail the other nail through his ankles or through his feet. Now, this Roman crowd and this Jewish crowd has absolutely no mercy on Jesus. Understand, this is the week of Passover. The weekend and the Sabbath coming up is the Passover feast. It's required of all the Jews that can, males, to be at three feasts 
during the year. This is the first one. This is a high holy day, a high feast. And there are literally tens of thousands, and many people believe hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem when all of these events are happening. They are mocking and they're blaspheming Jesus as they pass by this event on this feast and holy day. Now, understand this. They're leading up. This is the day of preparation. And these thousands of people making mockery. It's almost like a circus going by and mocking this one who is, quote, called the king of the Jews. Luke 23 gives us some of that mockery. Verse 35, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Then the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38, there's also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews, written in three languages. Now the Jews took offense of this and they told Pilate, Don't write, This is the king of the Jews. Write, He said he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, What I've written, I have written. Matthew 27, verse 39, Matthew gives us the account of this. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who have destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. If this is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he even desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So not only is Jesus getting mocked and scoffed at and derided from the base of the cross, both of the robbers or the thieves on both sides of the cross, according to the scripture, are reviling him in the very same way. Everybody's getting caught up in this, aren't they? How many of you know there's a mob mentality here? There's a crowd mentality going on. Mark 15 describes the events. Verse 29, and those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now, Jesus is not the only one, obviously, being crucified that day. There are two other criminals, Luke said, that were being crucified, one on each side of Jesus. Now, the question here, are they criminals or are they thieves? Luke says they're criminals, but Matthew and Mark say that they're thieves and robbers. Now, under the law, these Jews who were thieves only had to make some kind of restitution, they had to pay back what they had stolen. Now, under the law to make restitution, there was no death penalty. So what is the, the real truth here? Are they robbers? Or are they criminals? And I think the answer is uh, maybe found in Scripture. 
Now, if they had committed murder during the robbery, they wouldn't be called robbers. They would have been called what? Murderers, but they're called thieves, robbers, and criminals. But according to Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, if a thief robs a person, not the goods of a person, but steals someone and kidnaps someone and treats them like a slave or holds them for hostage or ransom or sells them as a slave, then according to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 7, they shall die. So this is not a thievery of merchandise or goods. It could be if they're thieves and robbers and they receive the death penalty, this is more than just merchandise. This is human trafficking. How many of you know we're hearing a little bit about that even today? So these guys are not really just making restitution. These people have received, these two receiving the death penalty, and both are hanging on each side of the cross of Jesus, and Jesus is in the middle. Now, in Mark's gospel, he said both were reviling Jesus. Jesus is not only hearing it from the crowd, he's hearing it in his left ear, he's also hearing it in his right ear. Now, Luke is the only one that gives us insight of what happens there hanging in the air between the three crosses. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanging railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. And only Luke shares that. The others don't. We really wish that maybe Matthew or Mark or John would say, come on, tell us more about what is going on in, in between the three crosses. Now we know that the criminals were taunting, shaming, disgracing Jesus. But just before noon, something happened to one of the criminals. All of a sudden, there's a change. The, the criminals begin to act differently, especially one of them. Look at verse, 23, uh, verse 39 of Luke 23. One of the criminals that were hanging railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other, say that with me, but the other rebuked him. So one criminal turned to the other and said, hey, stop it. He rebukes him. And he says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for what we are receiving, we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, can I just get to the message now? What's happening here? At the beginning, everybody is deriding Jesus. They're shaming him. They're mocking him. Even both criminals on both sides of the cross. But something happens between 9 a.m. and noon before the world goes dark because at noon, darkness covered the earth because the Son of God is dying on the cross. And something in that three-hour period changed the heart and the mind of one of these thieves and these criminals. He begins to act completely different. There's a change of heart here. Now notice this. He rebukes the other thief for doing what he had been previously doing himself. He says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? So let's, let's just analyze this today. I think we can glean some things here that would help us in our faith. 
this man is beginning to experience the fear of God in his own life. Do not you fear God, is what he said. The fear of God is one of the first signs that something is happening in a person's life. Do you realize that that God holds our lives in his hands? That your next heartbeat, your next breath is in the hand of God. Do you believe that today? I believe that. This thief all of a sudden begins to feel the fear of God. Obviously, the other one doesn't. And he rebukes him. He says, don't you fear God here. And I don't know if both of these men were raised as good Jewish boys. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us that. But we know the culture and the custom was you raised up your children and you told them about the law of God and the things of God. That's what every good Jewish parent did. But somewhere these boys went astray. We don't know if they're partners in crime. Most uh, likely they may be. But this man realizes judgment is coming and I have no answer to what I'll say to God when I'm judged here. I have to answer for the things I've done. I mean, you know, that can be pretty scary. Let me tell you what it does. It produces godly fear. Every one of us here today, the moment we take our last breath, we're going to have to give an answer of the deeds done in this body. And this man is running out of time. The clock is ticking. But all of a sudden, a change of mind, a change of heart, he realizes that godly fear is coming into his life. You know, Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 3, and this is a verse you're very familiar with, beginning in verse 10. As, as it is written, there are none righteous, no, not one. No one's righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Then we drop down to verse number 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, one of the common traits of people who are unregenerate, no fear of God. Because if we feared God, we'd change our life, right? If we really feared God, we would do things differently. So there's really no fear of God with the unregenerate, the wicked here. But this man's about to die, and I'm sure he's concerned of what's going to happen to him when he dies. I mean, folks, he's hanging on the cross. He is condemned, and he is going to die. Do you realize this might have been a shock to his friend on the other side of Jesus? All of a sudden, changed heart, changed life. He's rebuking him for what he had been a partner in crime with, deriding, derailing Jesus. And I'm sure he thought, what happened to you? What happened since we've been nailed to the cross? I mean, this is completely uh, odd. I mean, the last few minutes, you've changed your story here. Your, Your heart seems to have changed. But isn't that what happens to us when our friends meet us after we accept Jesus? It happened to me. Did it happen to you? I mean, the people I ran with, the the crowd that I ran with. uh, Listen, folks, when when I left high school uh, at at age 17 and went to college, for several years I was a bona fide card-carrying heathen. And I ran with a group and a crowd, and we did some despicable things. We, We committed some horrible things. And there was a change in my life. Changed in my heart. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Was filled with the Holy Spirit. Dedicated my life and faith to Christ. And then that same group that met me later, that knew me in those years before, 
they didn't understand the change. This one guy on the side of Jesus doesn't understand the change on the other side of Jesus, right? What's happened to you? I remember, uh, I'll tell you a little story, uh, and I've shared it many times. Uh, my, my cousin had met someone I graduated from high school, and they said, now, you're Mike's cousin. Your last name was McCord. She said, yes. I said, what's he doing now? And she said, he's a preacher. And the person said, now the one I'm talking about, this is a true story. Now the one I'm talking about, um, you know, graduate, yeah, that's the one. Well, now the one I'm talking about, his, his dad was named Fred, mother's name was Ann Lee, and she was a teacher and had a brother. Yeah, that's the one. She said, I had to describe you four times before he understood we're talking about the same person. Because he knew me B.C., and now this is A.D., right? This is before and after, and he doesn't understand what happened. This, this one thief doesn't understand what happened to the other thief. What happened to you? Change of mind, change of heart. That is what happens when you come to Christ. People don't understand. Even your own family doesn't understand what happened to you. He has a sense not only that there's a fear of God on his life, he now sensing his own guilt. Now you say, Pastor, are you making this up? No, not really. He admits his guilt. We are getting due reward for our deeds. We are getting what we deserve. That's what he says to the other thief. He says, we have done wrong. We're guilty. We're condemned. What I did was absolutely wrong, and I'm getting what I deserve. Listen, if anybody's going to get saved, they have to have the fear of God, and they have to admit, I am guilty. No repentance ever begins with, I'm innocent. You know, in 40-something years of ministry, I got lots of stories. One Sunday, there was a lady who came to the altar, and I went down to pray for her that Sunday, and I said, how can I pray for you? And she said, well, I guess I need the Lord. And I said, well, let's repent of our sins. She said, I haven't done anything wrong. Where do you go after that? If, if there's no godly fear, if you don't admit that you're a sinner and you've done something wrong, let me tell you, conversation's over. And I said, well, listen, according to the scripture, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this is where we have to start. And this is where this thief is starting. I fear God. There's a holy fear now coming upon me. And I am guilty. I am condemned. That's why I'm hanging on this cross. What I did was wrong. You see, guilt and shame always amplifies our sin. And it's certainly amplified when we're in the presence of holiness. When you're out there running with the crowd, you don't feel it as much. But when you step into a sacred moment or a sacred place or the presence of God, then you feel that guilt and you feel the shame of sin. This criminal is in the presence of the Holy Messiah. He is in the presence of the Son of God, God in the flesh, and now he is sensing his own personal shame and guilt. He said, I am guilty, and we're getting what we deserve. You see, that's why sometimes in a service you feel it even more, because the presence of God is there. But you can also feel it in your car, at home, 
feel it anywhere when you're in the presence of God. Isn't this much like Isaiah, Isaiah 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He saw the, the seraphims there above the throne crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then notice Isaiah. This is a prophet. This is a man who we think really is saved, right? But when he gets in the presence of God and the holiness of God and the throne of God, notice his reaction. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in a nation of people who are unclean. He senses his guilt and shame and his undoneness because he's in the presence of Almighty God. And this thief is in the presence of the Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh. And he says, hey, I fear God and I'm guilty. So that's where he is. Not only is this criminal seeing himself like he's never seen himself before, now he's seen Jesus completely different. See, when the fear of God comes to you, when you realize your own sin and guilt and shame, you begin to see Jesus a little bit different. And that's what's going on in his life. Notice what the Word of God says. He said, but this man. Say that with me. But this man. We're guilty. We're condemned. We deserve what we're getting. But this man, the man in the middle, is not guilty. He's not getting what he deserves. He's innocent. He's without blame. Notice verse 41. But this man has done nothing wrong. You get it? He looks at Jesus and he says to his other compadre, his friend, he says, this man has done nothing wrong. If a person's going to be saved, they have to have the right view of who Jesus is. He is the sinless, spotless Savior. This man has done nothing wrong. We know by, by what's going to be said later. This thief is acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah and as the King. What the crowd does not accept, what Pilate and Herod does not believe, what the Jewish leaders will not accept, this man is accepting completely the opposite. He's not the king. If he is the king, if he is the Messiah, let him save himself. Let him come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let me tell you, folks, if Jesus had stepped down off the cross, every one of us would be without hope. The life giver is dying because only in his death can he give life. And here the thief is acknowledging, I see you differently than I saw you at the beginning of this ordeal on the cross. At the beginning, what is he doing? He's joining in with the crowd. How many know our young people, young adults, all of us have a tendency to go the way of the world? We follow culture. We, we hoard toilet paper. We're doing what everybody else is doing. How many know that will lead you nowhere? Good. You see, this man is believing. Listen to what the criminal says, verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, do, do you know what he's acknowledging? I believe you have a kingdom. I believe you are the king of that kingdom. 
You see, if others actually believed that, there would be no purple robe, no reed scepter, no crown of thorns, no mocking, no spitting, no beating. They mocked him because they didn't believe he was the king. Now the thief, the criminal, he says, when you come into your kingdom, he said, remember me. Remember me when you get there. You see, it's like no one else believes there's a king here, but this guy now is believing there's a king here, and he's on the cross right next to me. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. I fear God. I admit my guilt, and I know now you are a king. How can this guy think that Jesus will save him? I mean, all the things he's done. I mean, the world even knows he's a bad person, condemned to die. But do you remember what Jesus said when they were nailing him to the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> could, could you think that this guy may think, if God can forgive these blasphemers, if God can forgive these people who are mocking and accusing and blaspheming this one on the cross, if he can forgive those soldiers who nailed him to that cross, then possibly he could forgive me. The clock is ticking. If he can forgive those who beat him and spit in his face, the ones who crucified him, then maybe, just maybe, he can forgive me. You know what this thief is doing? He's asking for mercy and grace. He's asking for mercy and grace. He has no opportunity to do any good works. He can't go back and redo his life. He, he has no merits, no favor to list on his resume here. It's only by the grace of God his request would ever be granted. He can do nothing about it. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. You know, th this man believed that it uh, wasn't the end for him, I guess, or Jesus. Because he must have believed in the afterlife. Maybe a mom or a dad or somebody uh, must have taught him. Maybe he had heard a, a rabbi or somebody in the synagogue say uh, that there must be an afterlife. Maybe he read the book of Job that, where Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth and one day he'll have uh, regard to me and, and I know I'll see him. And so... He believes there's something beyond death. He, he believed in life after death. And the resurrection surely believed that because he believed that Jesus would have a kingdom after both of them died. And he wanted to be with Jesus. Remember me. Did you ever pray that prayer? I have. A lot of times. You ever been in trouble? Said, Jesus, remember where I'm at. Remember what I'm going through. Remember my kids. Remember my grandkids. Remember my finances. <laughs> Remember, I'm sick. Lord, do you even see? Do you even know? Can you remember me? And here's the good news. Jesus does. Here's a guy who doesn't deserve any good thing. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, the sad part of this story is kind of twofold. Here's the first one. The other thief seemingly didn't end well. We have no record of him, you know, accepting Christ or asking for mercy. If he did... Maybe there was a good ending, but the Gospels don't record anything. But the second thing is this thief, although he is saved, 
he has no opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven. Now, it's good to be saved, right? We want to be saved, but it's also good to lay up treasure in heaven. He's only saved, if you will, by the skin of his teeth. I mean, this guy has moments ticking down, seconds ticking down. The last moments of his life are the only testimonies he has. It is no testimony of good works or good influence, a lifetime of faith or a life of good of works. He has nothing of that. He can, he can offer nothing. The only thing he can do is just ask for mercy and grace. And the good news is, according to Jesus, he's going to be going to paradise. Now, I don't know what the theologians say or what other preachers are saying. I believe what Jesus said, the guy's going to paradise. How many of you believe that? Verse 43 said to him, Jesus responding, truly I say to you. Now notice the word truly. Everybody say that with me, truly. Now why is Jesus saying truly? Why didn't he say, uh, today you're going to be with me in paradise? I, I think maybe this is why he's saying truly. I know this is going to sound too good for you to believe. This is going to be <laughs> too good to be true. But truly, I'm telling you the truth here. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. It sounds too good to be true, but truly I'm telling you, where I'm going, you're going to be going with me. i tell you what, that just makes you shout. It just gets you excited. Here's a guy that is unbelievably corrupt and cruel, worthy of death, not just by God, but by his fellow citizens. They want him gone, dead. But Jesus said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is an amazing story, an account about mercy and grace. You see, sometimes we read the Bible, we know it's in there, but we don't just break it down line by line, thought by thought, precept upon precept, line upon line. And this is a bad boy. This is a man gone wrong. But mercy and grace is coming to his life. This is unbelievable for this world below the cross. Let me tell you this. This is unbelievable for this Jewish leadership. How in the world could a guy like this who has no works go to paradise? They can't wrap their hands around it. So surely they're thinking, yeah, Jesus is making this statement to him, even if they heard it. But it can't be true. Because no one like this guy could ever be in paradise. God could not forgive anybody like this. A man of this low character, the man of this, uh, of this type of criminal, a thief, could not be gone to paradise. Uh, how can a Lord be extending this kind of grace and mercy to that kind of person? This is kind of like a prodigal son story, isn't it? Prodigal son leaves his father, goes out and lives a way that he shouldn't be living, wine, women, song, spends all of his money, then he decides to come home. How dare him? How dare him come and insult his father that way? Basically telling father, I wish you were dead. If you were dead, I could get the, the inheritance you owe me. But the father gave it to him while he was alive. And, and he went out and he disregarded all of the good things his father had done for him and give for him. Then he decides he's going to go home. Now, in our minds, we think that father was to say, you're going to get exactly what you deserve, big boy. But that's not what happened. The father ran to meet him, put the best robe on his back, shoes on his feet, ring on his finger. Let's partay. Let's throw a celebration. My son, 
who is dead has come home. And this is kind of reminiscent of the thief, isn't it? This wayward child, this wayward creature of God's universe has finally come to his senses. He has some kind of clarity about himself. He, he's saying, I'm getting what I deserve. I fear God and I see you, Jesus, like I've never seen you before. You have done nothing wrong. You're, you're sinless. It's almost unbelievable a father would accept his son back when he'd done all that. It's almost unbelievable that Jesus could forgive a guy next to him on a cross. You know what? Jesus saves criminals, doesn't he? And he saves people who are thieves and people who have really messed up. And that gives me hope. To give you any hope? You know the difference between some people in prison and you? They got caught and you didn't. I don't want you to think too holy about yourself today. Because we've all done things wrong, haven't we? According to what I read in Romans 3, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody righteous, no, not one. We're all wayward children. But Paul said we have lost the fear of God. But once that fear of God comes back to you, you begin to see yourself in a different light. You begin to see Jesus in a different light. You know, I, I'm not here promoting deathbed conversions. I think today is the day of salvation, don't you? Today's the day. You don't wait until you take your last breath and blow out the candle and let smoke rise in the face of God. Uh, today's the day you ought to be saved. But let's not discount that there is a, a last moment mercy and grace story here on the cross this bad boy <laughs> at this last moment is not as bad as he thought he was. Maybe it's like the story I first began. Maybe he's falling back on this, on this floor of the jail cell, realizing I'm not as bad as I think I am. But here's the, here, here's the gospel. The gospel's this. It's good news for bad people and bad news for good people. You say, what do you mean by that? The bad news for good people, you can't be good enough to be saved by yourself. The good news for bad people, you're not so bad that Jesus can't save you. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. The gospel is that we can come to Christ and Christ can save us. The good news, what gospel means. Now, notice this word paradise. Let's end with this. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The, the word paradise means beautiful garden, a park, a, a grand enclosure. It's a synonym for, synonym for heaven. Because in some scriptures, it uses the word paradise and, and heaven interchangeably. So this, this man, Jesus, acknowledging, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Before sundown, both of them would be dead. Before sundown, all three of them would be dead. You see, at sundown, that's the beginning, Passover, the festival, High Holy Day. This is the preparation day. And it's against the law in Jewish law to leave a criminal hanging like that after sundown. 
That's why the centurions and the Romans go by breaking legs. They're ex expediting their death. And so they break the legs of the thieves, but when they get to Jesus, Jesus has already died. A, a bone in his body was not broken. His body was broken, but no bones are broken. Fulfilling scripture. And it, it's odd that his death on the cross extended salvation to everybody who mocked him under the cross. That his death on the cross provided life to everybody who was dead spiritually. It's the irony of the crucifixion and the cross, isn't it? You're dead, I'm alive, I'll die so you can be alive. You don't think I'm a king, but I am a king. So if you don't think I'm a king, I'm still a king anyway. And I have a kingdom. Just not time for the kingdom to be manifest. But I'm still the king of this kingdom. And so he tells the thief, this bad boy receiving mercy, who did nothing to deserve the mercy, nothing to deserve the favor, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. So when the thief died, guess who had already died to receive the thief when he died? Jesus. To be absent from the body, if you're a believer, means to be what? Present with the Lord. So he wasn't just in the company of the Lord. He's received by the Lord because the Lord said, truly, you're going to be with me, buddy, in paradise. And so before sundown, all three are dead. I don't know about the other guy, but I'm pretty sure, according to what Jesus said, truly, you're going to be with me in paradise. The good news is Jesus saves bad people. And he's willing to do that for us. And he's willing to do that for anybody who would receive him, believe on him, and live for him. And I want to tell you that's extremely good news. I wish there were 10,000 people to hear that today. I wish our own people were here to hear that today. I wish there was a world to hear that today. Here's a thief sentenced to die like every human being who can receive mercy and grace if they just receive Christ. Would you pray with me right now? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.